Hello, everybody. You are listening to Wolf and Tune, and I am Richard Wolfie Wolf, aka Wolf and Tune, aka Richard Wolf. I am delighted to welcome my guest today, who's uh, I've been really uh, looking forward to having him on the podcast. This is my uh, current flame, Brandon Holman. I'm going to welcome you uh, officially, but let me tell them a little bit about yourself. Brandon is an avid mental health and wellness advocate and has a passion for supporting artists, creatives, labels, and executives in the music and entertainment industry. Brandon is the co-founder of the Lazuli Collective, which is an experiential wellness agency that delivers wellness and mental health programming to audiences around the world through events, music, and consulting. Lazuli Collective seeks to establish a mental health forward paradigm that prioritizes well-being in the entertainment industry by leveraging partnerships, orchestrating impactful campaigns, and representing a diverse roster of talent in the wellness community. They connect BIPOC wellness practitioners with brands in the entertainment industry, allowing them to form deeper connections with their consumers. Recent campaigns and partnerships include Calm, Nike, Soho House, and Coachella Arts and Music Festival. Welcome to Wolf in Tune, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. All right. Well, I hope I don't smash your expectations too much. You should lower <laughs> the expectations a little bit. Um, all right. So let's go, Brandon. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you ever hear that? Let's go, Brandon. You know what that is, right? Yes. I, I, I know what that is. I, I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> It's it's hard for me to resist a wisecrack. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Well, not all the way at the beginning, but somewhere the be- in the, the beginning. beginning of time, the Big Bang. No, the the beginning of your time actually. Okay. The beginning of of your career in the music industry. We'll start with that because you've been in the music industry for a very very long time, full time. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Started um, maybe about 10, 12 years ago, full time. But even before that, had really early internships. And even before that, I would say I was just like really inspired through my my family. Um, I, I grew up in a in a music business and musical family. Uh, my uncle is a musical director. Today's actually his birthday. Uh, I need to text him. Um, but Ray Chu. Happy birthday, Uncle. <laughs> Happy birthday, Uncle Ray. Ray Chu uh, was a musical director at the Apollo Theater in New York for many years and, and was in the house band, Ray Chu and the crew, on, on their nightly show, show, Showtime at the Apollo. And he uh, married my aunt. Shout out Aunt Vivian. She was a former uh, executive at uh, ASCAP as well as uh, the Sony Music family. It was a combination of seeing the creative side from my uncle, but then also the business side from my aunt that really inspired me to work in the music industry. So when I was in high school, you know, started interning at record labels. Um, I think my first label was Bad Boy and then bounced around to Def Jam, uh, Rock Nation, and then, uh, you know, ventured into, into technology um, and consumer tech companies really using music and partnerships and, and, and content to uh, sell products and to market products 
um, really saw how music is really like the the driving force of, of a lot of consumerism, you know, within this country. And as we all know, technology companies really leverage music. What did you do at Rock Nation, by the way? At Rock Nation, I was interning for uh, Rich Kleiman. Rich is into sports now, and he manages Kevin Durant, basketball player, as well as like oversees his uh, venture capital firm and all of his investments. But Rich Kleiman at the time was managing J. Cole as well as Wale and a few other acts. Rich Kleiman was like also responsible for a lot of Mark Ronson's early career and they partnered with uh, Alito Records. So yeah, it was Rich's intern and I was doing yeah, a lot of stuff on the ground for J. Cole, Wale early in their careers. Did you interact with J. Cole at all? I did. I actually, and this was can't remember the, the timeline of it, but I booked Jake Cole's first West Coast gig at Loyola Marymount University. This first time he ever traveled to LA. This was before, yeah, actually, yeah, this was before Rock Nation because I remember when he came out to the show, he was telling us that he was about to sign with Rock Nation. And then a couple months later, uh, you know, Jay-Z signed him and he was like the golden poster child of Rock Nation and, and ushering a new wave of, of hip hop. It was really cool to have that experience of having him at my college and paying him $500 and like a bottle of Hennessy and he was, he just performed, you know, and what's even more sort of gratifying about that experience is now, you know, 12 years later, I'm taking my son to uh, soccer practice. My son just turned three. He might've been like two at this time. Take my son to like a, a soccer practice out in the Valley. And I noticed that Jay Cole's like right hand, uh, his manager and like partner in, in Dreamville, Ibrahim, um, who also flew out with, with Jay Cole to that show, Eve was at the soccer field with his kids. And my wife is like, friends with his partner and i was like yo eve like do you remember like performing at loyola marymount back in the day and he was like yo that was you like that was our first west coast <laughs> gig like that was the first time we smoked like cali weed like that was the first like time we went to roscoe's like it was such a big moment in their you know story of 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 their their artist journey um, you know, the first time you go to LA, I can't imagine as an artist getting flown out to LA, that's a big deal. So it felt really cool to be at a soccer game with our kids, you know, talking about that story. And now, you know, our, our kids go on play dates and, and are connected in that way now. So very, very full circle. That's so cool. That's yeah. so cool. I mean, J and J. Cole is, is one of my very, very favorites. And he's just a superlative lyricist. And he comes from a very... Uh, deep place of wisdom. So you uh, you mentioned you worked in tech. Uh, you worked at Snapchat, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was on the uh, I was on the marketing team of Snapchat. All right. So when you work for these tech companies, it was about digital marketing. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was digital marketing. It was partnerships. Um, also working with the specifically at Snap, working with with advertisers really trying to monetize uh, and bring some revenue into the company through through ad partnerships. But, you know, because I came from the music industry and had like very close relationships, 
I, I worked, you know, uh, collaboratively with the music team there to onboard artists onto the app to, you know, really activate and, and align to artists to, to, to use Snapchat, um, which was a very like new platform, you know, back, back then. And sometimes took a lot of convincing to tell someone that, Hey, you know, you need to do Instagram and Facebook and this new app. And here are the reasons why one of the, one of my, my uh, favorite memories from, from snap was uh, working with, with DJ Khaled and, you know, shout out to rock nation again, because, you know, Khaled really was, and, and maybe still is like one of like the biggest poster childs, you know, and spokespeople brand advocates for Snapchat, you know, he really took over when he started recording his like major key alerts and was doing a lot of his aspirational and motivational, you know, speeches on, on Snapchat and really bringing people into his life. Uh, as an artist and producer down in Miami. So I remember when Khaled was posting, you know, him riding his jet ski, you know, around his house in Miami, and he ended up dropping his iPhone in the water and needed to get a new phone. He also documented, you know, that journey to the iPhone, to the Apple store and getting mobbed by fans. But then he needed to talk to people at Snapchat to like get his password reset so he can log back into his account. And uh, I had a you know close relationship with Rock Nation and Lenny S. One, when, when Khaled was like really blowing up on the platform and we needed a direct line to him to really help him uh, uh, you know, use best practices and how can he leverage new features, I made that connection to, to Lenny. And one of my old coworkers just shared recently like one of the pictures when uh, Khaled visited the office um, which I also helped coordinate. And that was a really special moment to, to have Khaled come to, uh, you know, the streets of Venice, pull up to Snapchat headquarters and like meet the whole team. And he was recording content uh, from that. And, and it was just like a mob. Uh, like our, our employees were like really, really happy to see him. So yeah, during my days at Snapchat, I, I was mainly involved in like supporting our ads business and like doing partnerships. But any opportunity to, you know, work with artists that were in my network from DJ Khaled to Diplo and Dylan Francis to Travis Scott in the weekend. Even uh, I remember we, we um, you know, partnered with Beyonce to drop geofilters over uh, her uh, world tour. I think it was the formation tour. So you work at these great places, uh, Snapchat, Rock Nation, which Jay-Z runs. A wall and other places, and there's more I know. Um, yeah, Puff Daddy, Bad Boy, <laughs> and and you're working in, in in these places, and then at some point, your priorities change. So your focus changes, and it becomes a light on the issues of well-being, mm -hmm. um, probably well-being in general, and well-being within the music industry. Tell us how did you reach that turning point? What happened? Yeah, so it, it, it really happened while I was at Snapchat. That's when the, the, the light really turned on and activated. While I was like thriving at, at that company, it all just got sort of like pulled away from me in a moment. I, I, I got fired very unexpectedly. That same street that, that Khaled was, you know, visiting us on, I was like literally had the like cardboard box like with all of my things like from my desk. 
and was just like completely bewildered of like, whoa, like how did that just happen? And I noticed that my whole identity um, as a human being and as a person was really tied to this company and tied to my title and the access and the things, material things that I got, you know, from that company. People used to save me in their phones when I would meet them as like Brandon Snapchat. You know, my email was Brandon at Snapchat. And so I noticed once I maybe would have reached back out to some of these same people that I had helped, you know, uh, while I was at that company, maybe it's, um, you know, it's, it's a BET Awards weekend and I'm trying to go to all the events and hit the red carpet and, you know, make the moves that I would normally make. I'm like, damn, no one's responding to Holman, you know, my generic email. And I was like, wow, like, am I worthless? Like, am I inadequate? Like, why don't I have the things that, you know, my colleagues have? And I, I got really bitter. I, I got really, you know, one sad and depressed. I was also going through a, a, a rough breakup during this time. And, and I was with my partner for maybe like eight years. So my identity was also wrapped up in, in that relationship. So it was like all the things that, you know, made me who I thought I was, the way that I would describe myself. Also, if someone met me at a bar, I'm like, hey, I'm Brandon, I work at Snapchat, I have a girlfriend, and I like music. It's like, oh, these things are no longer, you know, <laughs> a part of you anymore. Um, so I'm like, okay, like who, who am I, who, who am I outside of, uh, these titles, these positions, um, these, even these hobbies, the interest. So I really had to, to take a, a, a discovery inward and to really like pierce through like the layers of my ego and perception and identity to see like who the true Brandon was. I was given this name. I, we have so much identities to our, our names and like, I am, you know, especially I'm, I'm watching Game of Thrones right now and, and uh, or the, the new one. And it's all about the family, the lineage, the crest. And, you know, you're, 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 it's something that you're born into and like you, you form an identity around it and, and the way that you perceive the world and yourself is like through that lens. And so I had to rebuild a new identity, a new image of, of who I was, the true me, found that through uh, yoga and meditation, you know, specifically uh, Kundalini yoga and meditation that uh, really helped to peel back these subtle layers um, of my identity and, and tap into uh, my, my true soul and, and, and spiritual self. And around that time, I then started just noticing that a lot of um, brothers and sisters and colleagues like in the music industry were also battling with those same, um, you know, things that I was of identity crisis or just struggling with the burnout and all of the demands of this, uh, of this industry, keeping up the, the appearances of like, oh, everything is so good, you know, like I'm, I'm on the red carpet, I'm at the festival, but, you know, secretly they're like, I hate my job. Like I hate what I'm doing. Like, I, I know so many people that have had this moment of like, I need out. Like I love music, but this industry just like, 
is so cutthroat it's not sustainable like so it's either like they quit or they or, or reform unhealthy habits to like smoking to drinking uh addictions to, to sex all of the, the the lifestyle you know of open bar studio sessions traveling um to to what we feel like a lot of this industry is 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 built on and and so we feel the need to indulge in that way just to keep up i, I have a lot of friends that you know like don't want to drink but like feel like they need to drink to get them through the night you know because they have a long gig or they have to go to a show um or just to get over the social anxiety and pressure of like networking it's like oh, i need to knock a few drinks back so i could just mingle with you know and and i started being very intentional and like no like i if i don't want to drink i'm not going to drink or i'm not even going to go to the event why do i have to even go like what is this really about do i need to be here or do i want to be here because it's an ego thing and it's like oh i i want to say that i was partying with jay-z and take a picture with jay-z to like portray the lifestyle that i'm a young flashy executive in the industry but it's like what is that like really about is this is this coming from like a place of like fear and anxiety that i need to like portray this grandiose image of like what i think a music executive looks like because i'm trying to impersonate another executive i'm secretly like envious and jealous of their life because i think that they have it all so therefore i need to drive a bmw and i need to eat at nobu and i need to take a first class flight to go to this festival and if i don't do that then i'm i'm a worthless <laughs> human being um because i don't have all the same things and access um so uh, yeah it was like i I've, I've been working through a lot of these ideas and 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 concepts and ideologies but um at the root of it you know uh, i i developed a very strong practice and relationship to kundalini yoga which helped me one just like be present with myself be okay to deal with a lot of the emotions and things that were coming up about myself that i used to numb through drugs sex alcohol partying through again just like the perception and identity of like i'm a music executive so i need to do this and hear some of that chatter be like oh go away back in the studio because i'm just you know sort of like in the path in the matrix and i'm like how do i step out observe more be more mindful and try to make more not even healthier choices because i'm not diminishing like what anybody wants to do but more mindful choices and more choices that i felt resonated with my spirit it's a daily um journey you know of 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 self discovery um i by no means have all of the answers um i'm still learning myself you know every single day through therapy through meditation through um conversations with friends through reading um and even through you know conversations like this on 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 a podcast.
podcast and platform like this. I know that was a big ramble, but. Well, it, it was a, quite a big word salad, <laughs> but uh, it was it's very nourishing. You, you said a lot of good things. And, you know, we talk a lot about the four horsemen of the musical apocalypse. And you mentioned uh, most of them, anxiety, depression, addiction, and self-destructive or suicidal thoughts. You've given here uh, an insight, which we haven't had that much, about the pressures of uh, identity, being in the music business and how your identity is so wrapped up with titles. I mean, probably every walk of life, people are wrapped up with their labels and titles, whatever it might be. But there are certain unique pressures in the music business and uh, at the pace of the music business being very close to the pace of technology. So you've talked about uh, and illuminated the, the pressures of maintaining appearances and maintaining your hipness and coolness, being a constant sort of Democles threatening over your head. You know, you could really understand that from your point of view. It's, it is so important at some point people do have to stop and ask themselves, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I doing this? I mean, Kendrick Lamar was interviewed by Rick Rubens. This is one of my favorite things on YouTube I've ever seen because they both meditate, they both practice mindfulness. And uh, Kendrick Lamar says, I need to step away from music every day or every other day for 30 minutes and just take time to create space so I can understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and what I'm feeling. And that's exactly what you've been expressing. <clears throat> the question is, what are the solutions and how do we address these problems? Uh, but before we get into that specific uh, answer, if you could just tell us a little bit about, for those of us who don't know the difference between Hatha Yoga and Kundalini Yoga and Bikram Yoga and all these other things we've heard about, what is special to you about Kundalini Yoga or how would you describe it just in a, in a nutshell? Yeah, so um, the, the way I would describe Kundalini Yoga um, is that it's a yoga uh, and practice of awareness and it's designed to give you the experience of your soul and, and of your true nature. And um, I know that seems like just very like esoteric in, in, in nature, like how can you really have the experience of, of your soul or the awareness of your soul? But on a practical uh, and, and physiological level, the practice of Kundalini Yoga and how it differs a bit from Hatha and some of the other forms of yoga that you mentioned is that it combines a couple different uh, sort of elements um, within a Kundalini Yoga practice where some of the other yoga practices maybe just focus on uh, asana, which are the, the poses. So Kudalini combines asana and, and different movement of your body, um, but it also combines uh, mudras, which are the, the placements of your hands, uh, which stimulate uh, different uh, meridian points um, or uh, energy sort of like centers. If you think of the Chinese medicine acupuncture centers, you know, we have different points in our body uh, that correspond, maybe your, your big toe can correspond to your, your right eye. 
So by activating these different points on your fingertips, you are uh, sending different energy through different channels of your body and also corresponding to different areas of your brain. Um, we also stimulate the brain through chanting. Um, and, uh, and that's also one of the reasons why I resonated so much with Kundalini Yoga coming from the music industry because music is so involved in the practice. There's all of these songs and, and, and mantras that you get to uh, uh, participate in and chant and recite. And when you're chanting, that's also um, activating the meridian points that are on your the upper palate of your lip, um, which correspond to different parts of your brain. You are aligning uh, your endocrine system, your lymphatic system, your adrenals, um, all of these different organs um, and glands within your body that help to flush the body and detox. Let's say if you're working with your uh, liver and your kidney, things that will give you more energy. It, it works with all of these different body centers to put you in like complete uh, alignment. And it takes a lot of uh, practice and uh, repetition um, to, you know, fully work your body to that level. But once you do, and let's say there could be a practice where might be a breathing exercise where you're holding up your arms at a very specific angle. Kundalini is, is a practice of, of angles and degrees. So the instructions sometimes are arms at 45 degrees or 60 degrees or 90 degrees. And you hold this posture for three minutes and you do a certain breathing exercise for three minutes in and out rapidly through your nose. And then at the three minute mark, you take a big inhale. Then you squeeze all the energy up. You squeeze your, your, your pelvis, your groin, your anus, and you're pushing the energy up through your chakras, your, your root, all the way up to your head. And around this time at Snapchat, when I was going through this identity crisis and, and I fell into Kundalini and I, I took one of these classes, it was at that moment where it was at the, you know, inhale at the end of like a three minute or seven minute something where i felt like my arms were about to fall off i'm like how can i do this like i feel like i'm about to pass out uh i'm holding and i let it release and it's just like complete stillness this complete merging with just like the the oneness and source yeah yeah it's it's really noteworthy that I haven't seen this demonstrated uh, quite like this before, that you move, or you go through movement in order to arrive at stillness. Mm. Um, I know in my practice, it's about going through sound in order to arrive at silence. Mm -hmm. And then you keep going beyond sound and beyond silence. And I saw you a couple of things, by the way, um, chanting and singing have uh, neuroscientifically been proven to stimulate the vagus nerve, mm -hmm. which is that highway that goes all over, all through your body with the little rivulets all through your body, and that's the highway to the uh, fight or flight response or the relaxation response. Yep. And, also stimulates uh, your pituitary gland, uh, and and that also regulates your you know serotonin and, and dopamine. Yeah. You, so like all these. You went through all so, those. Yeah, you went through all those systems. Uh, that's much more highly scientific than I 
that I can uh, explain. I just know this one vagus nerve. Well, the amygdala and, and the limbic system too. But yes, mm-hmm. uh, stimulates, I believe you, stimulates a lot of that stuff. And now I saw you doing this thing for people that can't see because they're listening. And you you were touching your fingertips. You went and touched your different fingertips on your hands. Yeah. Like that, so, right. Yeah, like so um, the, the, the best way to describe it uh, this mudra would be Gyan mudra. Um, it's when you touch your index finger, your pointer finger to your thumb tip. And if you just right. imagine what like a, you know, maybe stereotypical yogi looks like as they're sitting with cross-legged position, they're, uh, you know, they, they have those two fingers that are touching and their palms are facing up, their uh, hands are on their knees and they're just like resting and smiling. Um, that is Gyan mudra. Uh, that is one of the most, um, uh, uh, I would say, like basic uh, mudras, classic, that, cl- classic mudras that that um, shows up in a lot of different uh, meditation and uh, yoga practices. Yeah, yeah. I've done it. I, I've seen it, and I, I used to know there were words that you say sat nam. I mean, uh, yeah, sat nam. Uh, it... You're you're correct. Yeah, sat uh, being truth uh, and nam uh, identity. So I think that's, you know, going back to our conversation um, about the identity crisis, that's also what I've mm-hmm. resonated with within Kundalini. Um, the, the mantra Satnam is a, is a foundational mantra that is chanted both uh, audibly and mentally. One, it, it helps you stay focused to the uh, particular exercise or breathing exercise that, that you might be uh, going through. Um, so they'll say, you know, we'll be doing this breathing exercise for, for three minutes. On the inhale, chant sat. On the exhale, chant nam. So mentally in your head, as you're breathing in and out, it's sat, nam, sat, nam, sat, nam, sat, nam. And, you know, the, the Sanskrit words being that the truth is, is my identity. Even in, in what's so beautiful about this, this too is these Sanskrit words are ancient wisdom. Some, some refer to the, the practice of uh, Kundalini and other uh, spiritual lineages as it being a, a technology. Um, these are ancient words and songs and poems and, 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 and mudras and, and all of the, 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 these, these sort of like systems that were passed down from our, our ancestors, even though you might not know what the word Satnam means, you know, as a Westerner, I truly believe that our, um, our subconscious and our unconscious uh, minds, they know these primordial sounds. You know, there's also sounds, as you probably know, you know, there, there's certain sounds that correspond to the different chakra points. Like maybe it's, I'm going to maybe get it wrong, but like Lam, chanting Lam, or even Om. Om uh, is, they say, the, the, the primordial sound. Om is the right. sound that came out of the Big Bang. Um, and once we chant Om, we are aligning ourselves like to that frequency of oneness. Um, some right. even say when you're chanting Om, it is like a a vehicle and a gateway um, to a higher plane and portal and dimension that extend 
extends time and space itself. And that's why these things are primordial. These are the building blocks of the universe itself. This is the, and they, they just, I'm sure maybe you saw it, the, um, you know, they, they just discovered that sound actually does travel in space and they, they got the audio recording of the black hole. Did you hear that? No. Oh, it's, it's, it's no, fast. It's, it's fascinating. They have the audio. They have, they have the audio of the, that I know of is the cosmic background, microwave background, CMB, mm. which when you talk about the big bang, that is the sound of the big bang. So it's, um, it's called a cosmic microwave background and that they do pick up with antennas, radio antennas. That is a thing that's been scientifically proven. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's probably for decades. Yeah. And so, yeah, and, and Ohm is supposed to be part of that primordial vibration that happened with, with the Big Bang. But let's get back to the Four Horsemen of the Musical Apocalypse and what you see as your role in uh, addressing it. Uh, so how to address it? Um, one, I think it's just having conversations just like this normalizing these these issues um making people feel like they aren't alone that they're silently suffering i know for myself like you know before i reached this point i was like having these thoughts in my head but i wasn't i didn't have the courage i don't think to like articulate them and to tap my friend at the release party and be like yo like what are we doing? Like, why are we here? Or what is this like really about, you know? Um, Or really having, being comfortable going deep within myself to like unpack, you know, one of the, one of those, those horsemen of, of addiction because you had an addiction. Yeah. uh, To, to, to drugs and to sex, which was, really just like i feel like the music industry just pours lighter fluid you know on those particular uh addictions mm. um mm. just 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 being in the in, in the in the lifestyle um feeling like mm. you know especially i think, I think like in, in in hip-hop um and some artists and creatives feeling like they need marijuana um to inspire creativity or sometimes yeah. it's to like quiet the mind and like there's too much noise there's too many demands the 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 lifestyle is so fast paced that like oh i need to slow down like i need to smoke some weed um but i noticed that you know smoking weed was like numbing myself to so much in my life and it was a crutch too few people admit that by the way it it was pretty white widespread it's fact that you could admit that that's a big change it it was it was it was really it was really hard i think even now as i share my story with even friends and again i'm not condemning anybody for you know what they do i just knew I, i had to have the honest conversation with myself of like oh this is no longer healthy i thought that i can get away with it for so long of like oh you know it's just weed it's not addictive um it helps my creativity i get all these ideas i'm social that was a big thing too i I noticed i was like i use weed to network um maybe i i feel uncomfortable talking to somebody but 
if I have some good weed, um, then, I, then like I'm accepted. Like they will invite me in with open arms. Uh, I get to smoke them out. And, you know, maybe now it doesn't happen that much. Like in COVID, you don't want to share weed. Uh, but I was like, hey, like if I have good weed, everybody will love me. I'm the center of the party. Um, this mm. is how I meet people. I, I met a lot of amazing people in this industry through, you know, through weed. And then it was hard to be like, okay, like weed is unhealthy for me. I'm going to give it up. But now how am I going to meet people? How are people going to um, uh, 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 enjoy me? Or maybe I'm not that funny, you know, like it was just the weed or maybe it was this. Like, so I have really had to like come to terms with um, what was underneath my relationship to weed. And I think a lot of people struggle to have that honest conversation with themselves or examine their habits in that way. I think you know, just looking at all addiction and, you know, outside of just the four horsemen of like sex, gambling or whatever, you know, sort of like the, the, the top three, it's like, how many of us are addicted to unhealthy foods and sugar and technology and TV? Like we all have our vices. Like if we really start to examine the things that we do and go a, a level deeper of like, why, why did I just eat that cookie? Like, I know I shouldn't eat the cookie, but I ate the cookie and it tasted good. But what, what was that? Like, what, what craving was I truly satisfying with that? And where does that come from? The deeper that you, you know, uh, inquire and apply that self-analysis, you can discover like, this came from my childhood. This came from some experience of like me not feeling loved, me feeling unworthy, me feeling some negative core belief that you have. And I soothe myself through food, through sugar, through TV, through any vice. And I think, again, it's like not about not having any vice because we're human and like, this is what we do. It's just like, how can you be mindful and be a little bit more aware to then when you're faced with like the same decision of like, okay, I had a really stressful day at work today. Um, what are my options? Drinking some alcohol, eating a cookie that's going to make me feel better trying to forget about it all and just like turning on the TV until I fall asleep or how can I like discover and inquire, okay, what made today bad? My boss yelled at me and I was late on an assignment or something. Um, and okay, like I got triggered and you know what? It reminded me of the way that my dad yelled at me when I was a kid, when I didn't do the thing that I was supposed to do. And I really just wanted love for my dad because I was a child. And like, that's all children want. <laughs> so it's like, oh, we like, oh, wow. Okay. So that's what's really happening when that thing, you know, when that trigger happens, this is what's underneath it. And this is how I can work with it. And these are the things that I can like, integrate into my life to make more again not healthy choices but mindful choices in the future if you have the awareness that 
eating sugar like isn't good. I smoke a lot of weed. When I smoke weed, I eat crap. I go to 7-Eleven, eat snacks. And now I'm on the toilet at like four in the morning, but I do it again and again and again. And I'm like, I want to fix my, my, my stomach. Well, it's like, I need to fix the smoking that's making me eat this food. And then what's underneath all of that? Is this really serving me? Maybe you could say, yes, weed is really serving me. Like I need it and it's helping me then. Okay. Then like you have a healthy relationship to weed and like, cool. But then it's like, once you know that it's really unhealthy, but it's hard to stop. And then you're like, oh shit, I'm doing the thing, but you keep doing it anyway. Like that's then when you need to like really ask yourself those questions. So, yeah, I mean, like you said before, this is quite another word salad. Um, (laughs) So, but you've demonstrated really, really well. And I think very significantly how you integrate kundalini into daily life. And um, I did not realize, or I didn't realize now, that mindfulness is a part of that. And the, the ability to be able to observe what you're doing and ask yourself, why do I want this cookie or smoke this weed? And just observe it non-judgmentally, uh, just out of curiosity, wanting to learn. And, uh, and also accepting like you said, we're human beings. We to be fully human, you're gonna feel everything. You'll fall into all kinds of holes. That's being human being, and to accept that and to be willing to, you know, feel feelings that may not be the best feelings in the world. So you've demonstrated how you integrate mindfulness into your practical daily existence and how one can do that. Of course. You also said, which I think is key, that it's practice, that there's a practice here. These conversations are very important in helping to guide people down a certain path, but then they have to practice. They have to follow that path and, and do the practice. Tell us now uh, on, on a specific concrete level, you have some kind of an appearance at Coachella, and you're going to do it again, right? You had one last Coachella you're going to do it again. Can you talk about that? What are you doing there? And what is your aim? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, we're really fortunate at the Lazuli Collective to partner with uh, AG and Golden Voice to uh, produce the festival's uh, first on-site wellness activation that happened in the camping area of the festival. So we uh, produced the Wellness Oasis and we, for for both weekends of the festival, um, we had over 20 teachers um, come out to the festival to teach yoga, breath work, uh, creative writing, affirmations, uh, just a myriad of, um, you know, different modalities and practices. Our intention was to provide a uh, a safe space um, for people to come rest uh and recharge um and we thought it was really important you know i've been going to to coachella for over 10 years festivals are a lot of work they're extremely taxing on the body um from the heat from the dust uh from all the walking you know you open up your iphone and you see how many steps that i take today like you've walked like five miles just from walking to your car to the stage 
to get a hot dog and all around back to your car, like your feet are done. Uh, and then you do that for three days, four days, if you're camping, it's a lot. Um, so we wanted to provide a space where people can take some respite, you know, drop into uh, a restorative practice, but also have a place where people can uh, connect and friends can join. This was also very important, um, you know, for the first year out of COVID, you know, dealing with the uh, social anxiety and the social distancing mm-hmm. anxiety that people feel at festivals, um, dealing with uh, the loss and grief that people feel coming into this festival year after um, losing friends and family, after yeah. maybe being sick themselves. Um, how can we provide a space where people can, friends can come together, reunite sometimes for the first time. We heard a lot of stories of like, I haven't seen my friends in like two years, you know, and now I get to share an experience of doing breath work with them. Or someone came to the festival alone and they met a very, you know, like-minded kindred spirit at one of our classes. You know, a very personal story that, that really touched me a woman was walking by our festival or walking by one of our, our, uh, our programs and she smelled sage and she got the mic and shared her experience of like what the, you know, her experience in the, in the particular workshop. And she said that she came, she walked into our area because she smelled her daughter. She didn't know that we were having this, uh, experience, but she smelled her daughter. Wow. Uh, her, her daughter's name was Sage, and she just lost her daughter, oh, um, just just lost her daughter. And this festival experience in our workshop was one of the first moments in which her and her uh, husband um, were able to grieve together and able to deal with the loss of their daughter. And she was so fortunate and um, happy to have participated in this workshop. And like, once I heard that, I was like, like, wow. this is why, this is why we're doing this work is, is for exactly that. Um, when you have a festival of over a hundred thousand people, you have so many people from all these different walks of life that are bringing in so many different life experiences. I think again, especially from everything that we've dealt with for like the last two to three years of COVID, it was really important for us to to do this work uh, with Coachella. So we're yeah, we're really excited to um, you know be collaborating with them again this year. Great stuff, great great stuff. I wish you all the success in in Act Two, in your second go around there. And you had mentioned your work with the BIPOC community. Obviously, the BIPOC community has more stresses and anxiety triggers than the non-BIPOC community, obviously. But is there also a problem, and maybe this problem is is getting better, of stigma still maybe in some areas of the BIPOC community, a stigma about yoga maybe or therapy? What's your your take on that? Yeah, I'm happy that that you addressed that and and that was some to to solve for some of those issues was, was some of the inspiration behind the Lazuli Collective, yeah, there's deep, you know, stigmas and fears, um, and sometimes just like a lack of education and, and, and knowingness of some of the benefits to these practices. I think some of that is tied to religion and culture. 
that was, you know, passed down through slavery. You know, we, we use religion, I think specifically like Christianity and, and uh, to, you know, really get us through some like very tough times uh, as, as a culture, you know, through, through the times of slavery. But we have a, such a rich culture and, and identity that comes through the black church. And it, it's, it's so beautiful and, and amazing. And I think, you know, through my spiritual practices um, and my wellness practices, I've actually developed like a deeper relationship to God than I had before when I, when I was growing up. Uh, I think what we also see in the wellness space is a is one a lack of diversity from the the people who are teaching these practices. When I used to think of of yoga, when I used to think of meditation, when I used to think of organic foods, um, sometimes I would see a very thin white woman, maybe from Brentwood, you know, wearing uh, Lululemon pants, who's like going to her yoga and Pilates breathwork class. And, you know, our intention with, with Lazuli Collective was to empower and represent BIPOC practitioners who this ancient wisdom and technology that I mentioned actually like comes from these lineages. It comes from India. It comes from uh, South America, some of the, the, the shamanic practices and uh, spiritual practices that, that are down there that are becoming very popular or not popular, but more mainstream in, in our Western culture. A lot of these, some of these practices come from Africa, but a lot of the times it's a, uh, it, it's a white person, you know, who's, who's teaching these things or who is building a, a business around it um, that doesn't seem accessible for people of diverse backgrounds, maybe because the price point is too high, the setting, um, is not in a location that's accessible to diverse audiences, or once they get there in the class, they don't see you know people that look like them that are sitting beside them in class. I hear so, that. So, so they so they lot. say like this isn't for me. You know, I I had to push through that in in my own practice. I felt very uncomfortable being in in a class of of all white people, and it wasn't until I found uh, my teacher Krishna Kar, a, a black woman who learned these teachings of kundalini yoga directly from Yogi Bhajan, her teacher and, and the person who brought this wisdom over from India to the States in the early 70s. So I had a direct line, you know, one source removed from the teacher who's, who really, you know, made this practice explode in the West, but it was from a, a Black woman. And she made me feel comfortable of going beyond my perceptions of spirituality and, and of religion. Um, and also making me feel comfortable uh, because she had a very diverse crowd and, and, and community and also making the connection of African wisdom and spirituality and other ethnic lineages that are all connected in this uh, umbrella. You know, although the practice, the, the practices of yoga originate uh, from India, there's a line to Egypt and there's a line through even like Mesopotamia. Um, so, you know, we wanted to, you know, represent practitioners that are able and, and, and empower them. So then, yeah, these, these stigmas in our community are more easily, easily dropped. And, and it's a very, you know, hard thing to do. These things are, are systemic. But like you said, 
we uh, in, in BIPOC communities experience um, a, a lot of trauma and racial violence, misogyny, um, homophobia, you know, sort of all, all the things, you know, disproportionately affect people from diverse backgrounds. And so I think that's why it's even more important to empower the practitioners and the wisdom teachers and leaders from these, you know, diverse backgrounds to help share this knowledge. And what I loved about Coachella is that we didn't, our intention wasn't to produce a black yoga experience. You know, we were very intentional in, in selecting and, and partnering with diverse practitioners, but we wanted to have a very open and welcoming space for all backgrounds and all walks of life. That's how we're moving forward um, as we partner um, and work with uh, BIPOC practitioners. By no means are we trying to create um, spaces that are only for Black, Latin, Indian. You know, we, we want everybody to come, but we want to really be strong in that um, we're very intentional uh, about, you know, who's delivering this message and how can we make it resonate, you know, to diverse culturally diverse audiences. I think that's also where the intersection of, of, of music and mindfulness comes in too, of like, how do you make these esoteric ancient practices relevant to a festival audience at Coachella? I see it, you know, I'm, I'm 31, or no, I just turned 32, sorry. Um, I'm a 32 year old, uh, you know, black man who grew up listening to hip hop and R&B and jazz and soul and funk. I'm going to the Kendrick Lamar show tonight. When I'm there, you know, I might have all my turban. I might have all my mala. Um, I'll be turning up, dancing in the crowd, reciting, rapping all the lyrics, you know, next to everybody. But in the morning, I'm going to get up at 4.30 in the morning and, 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 and do my meditation and chant. But I know now that I have the language to speak to that kid who's at Kendrick Lamar, you know, and really talking to him about like, hey, like, do you know what Kendrick's like really rapping about? Do you know what him and Rick Rubin are actually discussing? Like, this is where it comes from. And this is the knowledge behind it. This is, that's what I love about Kendrick's, Kendrick's album is like, he, he took us, and I'm talking about the, the last one, um, uh, uh, Mr. Morrill. Um, he took us through this introspective journey of like a therapy session, you know, like him battling these demons inside, battling the fame, battling racial oppression and trauma. And then his wife or his partner being like, hey, like you should go to therapy. She even recommended that he call Eckhart Tolle. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. she was, she was, and I, I, yeah. I knew that Tolle was like, that Eckhart was on the album. Yeah. He's on the album. He's on it. But, and like, which is the biggest flex. Like I, there's, you know, I don't, I don't think people really understand like what Kendrick did by pulling Eckhart Tolle on his album. Amazing. Even, even by having Kodak Black, like mention like one of Kodak's lyrics was like about Eckhart Tolle. It's just like, whoa, wild. But like, yeah, for, for his girl to be like, yo, Kendrick, like you should go to therapy. And then she even recommends, she's like, you should talk to Eckhart. And then Eckhart coming in on the second half of the album and being like, yeah. hey, Mr. Duckworth. And then at the end of the album, 
you know, that, that, that last song, so powerful. Um, I forget the feature on it, but you know, that, that was the song where he's like really talking about, you know, his, his, his trauma growing up as a child, um, mm -hmm. and dealing with, with, you know, sexual abuse and, 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 and these, the, these themes that plague a lot of black men and we don't talk about it. We, we forget about it. We numb it. We smoke it away. Like we don't go there. We don't go there about like what happened when you were a child. Like maybe your uncle touched you. Like maybe, um, you know, there's, there's so many rappers now that are coming out that like their first sexual experience was when they were 10 years old with like a woman who's like 25, maybe their babysitter. That's sexual abuse and that's trauma. And like, yeah, one side of it is like, oh, I'm a rapper and like, I got my, sorry to be frank, but like I got my dick sucked when I was 13. Like the other side of it was like, I was a child and, you know, someone abused me. And maybe that memory gets like locked in your subconscious, but then it can come out at any time once you're on stage, once you're dealing with friends, like, growing up like you never know when your trauma is going to reveal itself and like kendrick spoke about those things and then he it, it ended with his child being like hey daddy like you did it like like you healed intergenerational trauma you know like it was just so beautiful and it really impacted me because i'm a father uh, i'm maybe like a couple years younger than kendrick but like i have kids I have a partner. I've been doing that, 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 that spiritual, that emotional work to not repeat these patterns for my son that I'm raising. Cause I can easily just pass all of the same shit down to him. And when you study, this is getting even deeper, but like you talk about black trauma, trauma literally transforms your DNA and can get passed down to generations. Yeah. Um, yep. so, uh, you know, it's very important that, that this work is done um, to reverse that. And it only takes about like one to two generations to peel back and to reverse, you know, um, some of the, that, that, that trauma that, that gets really locked to our DNA, gets locked into our emotional body um, that, again, can like flare up at any time and maybe it's not something that you experience as a person but it's like all of this pain and violence is in our lineage because of slavery when we were literally in chains through this work you're literally like changing your dna you're changing your blood you're changing your oxygen you're changing all of these systems Beautiful. and becoming just Beautiful. like a new transformed person so um yeah. beautiful yeah <laughs> another yeah, word bomb but a lot <laughs> <laughs> well you know the, the important points very important points the 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 people don't think about uh as much as they could that the passing down of trauma through dna has been proven in terms of holocaust survivors in third generation the grandchildren have the that dna in them that trauma the ptsd from mm -hmm. from the holocaust and of course you're talking about Kendrick Lamar, and that's beautiful what he, he's done all along in terms of promoting meditation and mindfulness as practices. Same with J. Cole. Yep. Um, and and, along, with, and along with yourself, what you're doing, which is 
so important. And there, there are some other, you know, there's uh, Dr. Aza Alsop, who mm-hmm. uh, works out of Yale University, whose focus is on bringing music and mindfulness to African diaspora in, in our country. And there's Joanna Harding, uh, another great uh, teacher uh, from the BIPOC community. So um, it's, a, it's a little mini trend. Hopefully it continues to grow and uh, reach fruition. So what more, in your opinion, can the record industry do to promote mental health within the industry, mainly with artists that they're responsible for? Yeah, I I think about this a lot. You know, I think right now what we're seeing, I I saw Justin Bieber just canceled his his, his, uh, tour uh, due due to mental health. A lot of artists are being very transparent in uh, that they are postponing dates or dropping out of dates altogether so they can focus on themselves. Um, I think it's part of the uh, the label infrastructure. Um, it's it's part of their responsibility to um, work on these issues to support their artists. It's also on the uh, touring uh, uh, companies um, as well as the booking agents. I think, you know, what I would love to see is like really all sectors of the industry um, come together, uh, maybe form a, a think tank to help, you know, solve these these issues. Really focus on the staff as well. You know, um, I think I have a very unique perspective of the industry, um, you know, being um, inside of the label system um, as well yeah. as like the, the tech side of it as well so like i know what it's like to be an employee you know putting my all into a record release um and i know what the burnout is like you know i i I know what that grind is like just working day in day out i see it firsthand from the artist um as well uh and um so I, i think it's really important to make sure that the artists are well their crew is well the band is well the people that are working the shows are well um, with all the tragedy that's happening with some of the, the, the violence, you know, um, uh, at, at some of these shows and festivals, like how can you ensure that your security staff, that they're operating at their highest and best selves so they can do their job and make sure that people are safe. How can we make sure that the fans coming into the show are, are their best selves so they don't have any accidents. And, you know, it's, it's such a, a symbiotic and like holistic sort of relationship, I think between fan, artist, band, crew, label, booking agent, streaming platform, everybody has a, uh, a stake uh, in this. And ultimately, you know, um, what I'm also trying to tell people is like, it, there, there, there's a bottom line to it. If, you know, people just say like, I'm quitting, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. Or people leave the labels and they don't have, you know, very talented um, creative minds uh, to help uh, on these projects. So what I really love though, um, I wanna I want to give a shout out to uh, Sony Records. Um, you know, they have their uh, Artist Forward uh, initiative that, that's been spearheaded, you know, from, from the top down and, and, and Susan Moultrie is overseeing that initiative at Sony. I know it's a, a very big priority from uh, corporate to ensure that our artists and staff have access to uh, mental health services, that artists, you know, legacy artists are able to 
have some of their recoup balances waived, um, which is a, a big source of pressure and, and mental anxiety and stress, seeing that their livelihood is wrapped up in these contracts. So I think labels, you know, are, are taking the right steps to address these issues, but there's so much more that can be done. And the, that's part of my path and, and mission is to, you know, help the industry in that way. Yeah, that's so sorely needed. There's never, a, you can't have too much of that kind of attention and education, guidance. By the way, it's not just the record business in terms of the music industry. It's also in the sync world as well, you know, um, mm. film and television. And those are the areas I know the best. I have former students who, while they're students, are doing incredible jobs at companies that uh, are responsible for putting music in television and film. And so often they get burned out after a few years. They get abused in terms of, uh, exploited in terms of mm. being dependent on not to have a life. That yep. They should be available 24-7 because people very often in those fields have the same lifestyle. I mean, that's what they're used to. But it's really remarkable and, and significant that you're talking about these issues, being frank, whether it's about addiction or about the pressures to maintain appearances and the pitfalls and the uh, temptations and the unfortunate fact that people get burned out now early in their youth. I mean, it seems that, that hap that's happening more and more. So as we uh, conclude this discussion, I'm wondering what you are looking at in terms of if this, you know, you're excited about going to Coachella and doing that. And you mentioned about maybe bringing in a coalition of different groups to address the problems. Are you looking at anything immediate to medium future that we should know about? Uh, yeah. Lazuli Collective, um, uh, our co-founder is an artist by the name of Wata. Uh, that's W-A-T-A. Um, she's a beautiful ambient uh, composer. Um, and, yes, she uh, is. By the way, I wanna I wanna second that. I, I listen <laughs> to her music. She's very good. Oh, amazing. Very good. Um, yeah. So yeah, we uh, her her music is currently featured on the Calm uh, uh, meditation platform, uh, and we will be releasing her album uh, within the next few months. Um, so I would definitely stay tuned to that. We have some upcoming uh performances here in the la area uh with Watsa in october and we have uh, a few uh, conferences um like afrotech which is happening in uh, austin in november where uh, lazuli collective will be um uh programming some some wellness uh, offerings very similar to uh what we were doing at uh, coachella I'm uh, personally uh, invested in uh, working with artists as they go out on tour. Um, so partnering with, with, with artists and really understanding like, you know, how can they better thrive on tour, whether that is, you know, through improving their sleep, um, improving their, their diet, um, or uh, helping them uh, with their energy. Um, so they can sustain uh, themselves on the tour. And, you know, just hearing from from a few, um, you know, artists and, and seeing it firsthand of the unhealthy foods that are that are uh, in the green room and on the tour bus, um, the amount of coffee, 
that uh, artists feel like they need to drink um, to get through the day before they get on stage? Um, you know, how can uh, they take care of themselves better, develop healthier habits so ultimately their voice is in tip top shape? And how can all the band members and all the crew help each other as a family with where everyone's at in their current stage of life? Um, so uh, focused on, on, on some tours uh, for the rest of the year, um, focused on teaching uh, Kundalini yoga and, and, and breath work um, here in LA and, and to artists uh, and creators virtually. Um, and then, yeah, getting, getting ready for festival season of next year. It'll, it'll be here before we know it. This has been uh, incomparably, peerlessly incandescent talking with you um I, i'm assuming there isn't any last words that you have at this point or uh last words and when um, i mean words i mean you know one or two as uh yeah yeah, one or, no, <laughs> okay. yeah no, this will be short um i wrote it down today someone shared this quote with me today um to be at peace physically mentally and spiritually is the most important thing in life to be at peace physically, mentally, and spiritually is the most important thing in life. I go with that one. I go <laughs> with that one. So we'll close on that note and uh, enjoying the pleasures of peace. Thank you so much for coming to my humble podcast and yeah. for this conversation. And uh, I look forward to uh, our next encounter. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. All right. Well, that was totally incandescent. Speaking with Brandon Holman, I want to thank my producers, well, my co-producer, Hannah Bowers, and my editor, Michael Costantini. Till the next time, I hope you can stay in a higher octave, and let's you and I stay in tune.